Hello, this is the Tom Bigby Tales podcast. I'm Shannon Evans, and I write about a small town in North Mississippi called Columbus. Today, I'm here with a member of my Tom Bigby Tales team, and we're just going to sit around and enjoy an adult beverage and talk about um, the things going on at the CVB and our questions that we're just kicking around, and you can see how we start doing our research. So. Um, Partner, what questions are you kicking around tonight? Well, I am still very puzzled over a couple of things. Number one, I feel that there is really no lack of accountability or requirement for the director of the CBB and the CCHF. Um, it depends on... Um, uh, very nebulous thing, and I don't see this, when you have a large project with a lot of moving parts and a lot of money, there should be a very uh, specific requirement that the director of this would be called upon to do and also would be reviewed on a regular basis. In other words, um, the person could not just get the job and do whatever, whenever, but there would be um, a list of tasks and where are you on the task in a, in a project management style. Yeah, well, you know, some of the things that I've looked at is, is that I, I keep going back to the fact that there doesn't seem to be a, a, a very substantial job description, much less a job expectation. I mean, it's supposed to be about attracting uh, tourism and conventions and things like that to Columbus. And yet all I've seen in her job performance is that she's out shaking hands like she's the Chamber of Commerce. So it just seems to be a lot of busy public behaviors, but no, nothing that would get measurable results. What's your thought on that? Correct. Well, I, I would agree that that would be part of uh, the director's job, would be to be visible. I, I would not disagree at all. But the problem is, you are correct. I, I have yet to see a job description. I have yet to see a mission statement or um, uh, uh, I believe they call it core mission values. Uh, we know that the bottom line is bring more people into Columbus uh, for tourism. And that should be... Um, specific and measurable, and I don't see that at all. What I see is a lot of um, money spent on advertising, but I don't know what that advertising gives in return. And normally, if you are spending this kind of money um, on advertising, and these are should be substantial companies, then it would be a requirement to have data analytics. For example, you put a ad in, um, and I know they've used Garden and Gun, which would be definitely a legitimate, high-end, um, very professional company that would be able to provide you with the analytics. Who saw these ads? What was the return on the investment? What type of person sees this ad? Um, there's many different things that you can measure to say, was this a good spend of the money? And another piece that I think is not brought up is the fact that these 
companies, the reason why you pay so much to put your ad in these companies is because part of their job is to give you that. So if the CVB is spending all this money on these very high-end marketing advertising, whether it's print or whether it's television or radio or whatever they use, if they have not asked for this data, then that's on them. And, and yet, once again, here we are back at transparency. Where are the contracts? What are they doing? We don't, we don't know. Well, and I, that leads me back to what one of my questions is, is that, you know, when you go to an agency or, or an organization like this and you place an ad, you know, what was your agreement? Was your agreement that you created the ad and then they ran it and with some parameters because they have, you know, a certain aesthetic to keep for their readership? But was the board involved with uh, with approving that ad? What what did that look like? And, and there's not a lot of transparency across the whole unit. But having sat through a couple of their board meetings now, it's literally they have a jam packed agenda and those people have full time jobs. They're not they're not getting paid to be on a board. It's not like the light and water department where you're getting paid to be there for three or four hours. They're in, they get their job done. And by habit, they, because of the previous board, it was a rubber stamp board. I think the new board is, is currently changing that. And it makes, that makes um, Nancy Carpenter very uncomfortable. You can watch her try and juggle the, the answers and the information. And while the board is asking for transparent behaviors, it's out of habit for her to not be transparent. And so it's a very uncomfortable situation. And, and it's almost adversarial because she, you, you're not getting a straight answer. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, how she adapts to the expectations of transparency and how they pull these things together and going in the future. And because, you know, we're coming into a brand new, new cycle. It's a brand new year. She's only got a six month contract. Is she going to follow up with these kinds of things and actually invest in making sure she gets that, um, gets that kind of information back to the board or is she's going to continue to just obfuscate, never provide it. And, you know, we're just going to have to wait till the next board or till the next person's hired. You know, is this a learning process? Or are they going to are they going to figure out that what they need going forward? It's all very interesting to me to sit and watch. I agree about the dynamics because in most boards, you have people who are subject matter experts. Uh, for example, if there is someone on the board that has experience with um, print media, they would work with the director to see the contracts, to um, see you know, what, what they need to provide, what, for example, Garden and Gun is going to provide, um, you know, all of that. And, and I, don't, I don't see that. Oh, you um, mean a working with, board? With, in other words, right, right, right. They have tasks I, I and they, that, um, they have tasks and uh, and things to accomplish beyond what the lawyer does. He's paid, by the way, so he's not uh, doing correct. this out of the and business of his art. Right, right, and that's and that's well enough. 
But, um, you know, if you're going to sit on this board, are there some expectations that you are going to be required to contribute, um, you know, your time and talent uh, because this, the way it's structured now, there's a lot of moving parts and she seems to want to be in control of all of the moving parts. And frankly, that's a recipe for disaster for anything. Um, and, and yet it goes back to, once again, we have no idea of what the specific measurements are for this director. Is she required to, for example, increase tourism 3% year over year? Is she required to decrease cost 3% year over year? Is she required to renegotiate um, any of these uh, marketing contracts? Is she required to, um, you know, bring on one new um, a festival every year? We see nothing that is specific that could be measured in terms of success um, or not success or even things that you would perhaps do in stages. For example, this year we can't increase and add another festival, but what we have done is we have sent out feelers in the community, um, uh, in the surrounding area and you know, get feedback from them or go to their meetings or something. So it could be done in steps. It would not have to be something that if we don't do it this year, we don't, it doesn't happen at all. But we don't see that, so we don't know. True, true. So now, I, I, I'm, I mean, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. I know we've made jokes about them having a, a grow operation possibly in the Elks Club basement or, you know, do they have dancing competitions upstairs? What's what's driving up the, the electric bill? Because it's going up. I mean, I know that our rates have gone up here, but they've not gone up that much. I mean, wouldn't you just cut off the water in a building and and not have to, I mean, you just run the minimal heat and... Right. One so, of the things that that is concerning is you. I remember um, in the past, and for a, a residential building, and I don't know if you would have to do it for this, but insurance companies don't like to insure empty buildings, and um, they may be keeping the utilities on, but it seems the utility is as though the building is being used, and yet no one's in there. So. So are the, for example, if it has uh, central air, which I don't know if it does or not, but is it set at 78? Um, you know, is the, is the water shut off into the building to prevent any sort of leaks or, or danger? Why are they, you know, is there a water bill? And if so, why are they paying one? Well, is I tell you what, there was a, so, there's a, there was a window open yesterday when I went by, it was open about six or eight inches. It was on the ground floor. I mean, that's not even a secure building. It's just right. it's inexcusable. Do they have security cameras at that building? I don't know. I don't, I didn't see any. I didn't see I any, think. I didn't see anything that indicated. I mean, it's got a, it's got a chain across the front doorway area and it says keep out, but you know, that only keeps honest people out. Correct. I would think they would need security cameras at at a very minimum, uh, especially since apparently they have electricity on. Yeah. So, you know, and, they would and, have to do And something. I would think that would reduce your insurance possibly too. 
I would agree because it isn't, once again, an empty building. Again, it's an empty building. And and why why do they rent two sizable storage facilities? One's 10 by 25 and one's, wait, one's, yeah, 10 by 25 and one's 5 by 15, I think. I can't remember the exact. But they they rent those every month to the tune of $288 over at the CVB when, I mean, I'm thinking, geez, you could, you could cut, you know, that's like $3,000 a year or more that you could cut by just storing your stuff in either of those buildings. There's two buildings there, the Muscle White building, which is the old, um, the old travel and tourism building. Isn't that travel. interesting? They used mm-hmm. to have a, they used to have a travel agency there. And then you have the, and that was like 4,000 square feet. And then the Elks Club's 5,000 square feet. So why are you paying for another 250 square feet plus another whatever, 150 square feet to store stuff? And God only knows, no one knows what's in those storage facilities. Right. Especially since you've got 9,000 square feet. And if you're keeping the utilities on, then why are you keeping the utilities on for, once again, an empty space? Or is it empty? Once again, we don't know. Well, I looked in the downstairs window of the Elks Club. It's empty. But it you can't empty. tell. The window's over at the... Um, I, I, there's no way you can... I mean, I, I couldn't look in the ones at the at the Muscle White building. That those are, not, those are shut and blinds are down and all that good stuff when you walk by. But still, it's, you know... And it's kind of an eyesore. They're not taken care of. So, for instance, the window sash upstairs on a window is falling, uh, has fallen. I saw the yeah, uh, I saw there was a clearly a broken window downstairs. I'm thinking that's why the window was ajar, was that it had been broken and replaced, but the glass is laying inside on the floor of the of the downstairs. So that means it was broken from the outside. Correct. The the uh there are a whole bunch of um they I, they had a bunch of roofing and stuff replaced but now the roof whoever did the roofing did a crappy job because roofing uh, the roofing tiles are are all over the place you know the little shingles are and they're hanging down and they're very unsightly and then you have some some fascia that's that's rotting up there and starting to separate that's just on the Elks Club then when you look at the the muscle white building the the mold and mildew on those old canopies over those windows is just it's embarrassing I mean that is so embarrassing that when you come up the street you have the Tennessee Williams building on the right and then right across the street they own those two buildings and they look like you know what well I I still fail to understand the fascination with a tourism tourism group owning buildings and they have 4,000 feet over at their offices 4,000 square feet which is a huge office yeah how many people are in the office during the day one uh uh, 2.5 there's a there's two people who are part-time and then uh then Nancy Carpenter is full time. Um, one is a receptionist uh, person. The other one, I'm not sure what she does exactly, but she's, you know, they're they both work. I mean, they're busy over there, but they're not there. They're not full time. I don't think. What is what is being stored or used in that facility that they need four thousand square feet? 
is there a big the the meeting room a conference room do they have uh, a large area where they have all of these um magazines and things do they have no. printers do they have so what, large so when, servers what, uh, who knows I, I there's so when you walk in it's a big great it's a great room it's a reception area and it has a reception desk and then it has seating so it has a sofa and then it has two little seating areas with with armchairs um you know wingback chairs and then you have and that's so you can they can open up the double doors and you can be you can see what's going on in the conference room the interesting thing about the conference room um and the the doors are just giant louvered hollow doors so i mean you could technically go lean up and listen to them when they're in closed door session um i don't know why you want to but um the other thing is the when you're there you're not allowed in the actual boardroom area when they're for an open meeting keep this in mind this is an open meeting so they put two tvs up in the in the foyer in the in the in the front room so they're big flat screen tvs but they have no sound hooked up to them so you have to so they have an audio an expensive it's like two hundred thousand dollars worth of audio visual equipment put in there but it doesn't work the only thing that works is the tv the the they never turn on the volume so you have to strain to hear what's being said and i don't know why you would think with state-of-the-art you know microphones and all that or with just even some of the money they waste on marketing, they would have somebody come in and fix that and make it work, especially if you spent well, that much money on it to start well, with. They, they, have, they have a um, um, a technology company that handles all of their things. All they would have to do is put in a ticket to get the audio fixed. Because I don't they think have they, a, they, I don't think Nancy wants the audio fixed would be my. Well, exactly. Exactly. And here's the deal. Is that is a government entity that must be a huge violation of a sunshine law. Well, get this: for the longest time, until John Brady became the uh, uh, attorney of the board, uh, Miss Carpenter took the minutes for the meetings. And and see, once again, why is she doing this, and why? Why hasn't anyone called her out? This is not what a director does. She doesn't do her job. She's doing everybody else's job. Well, I feel like the board is having to manage the manager, which is not what they should be yes. doing. They should be managing the money and the projects. Yes. And they're having to spend all yes. their time managing the manager. That's well, an and another portion of it is she doesn't do a good job. They're in the hole. <laughs> well, the the foundation definitely is down. The foundation's right. in the hole year after year after year. Right, and and it's my understanding that they they well overspend at the board on um, things that they that they've overspent on their budget. And part of her job as the director, since she likes to be responsible for everything, guess what? She is responsible for everything. And that includes managing within the budget. Well, the 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 uh, board, she was, uh, I think I said, was it 60 or $80,000 of her budget for marketing? I mean, that's, I mean, it was 66000 She was $66,000 over the budget before the last quarter had even started. And so they had to cut her off. They told her she couldn't, no more marketing. No, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't 
make any more marketing agreements or anything. She was just going willy-nilly, and then she'd come and tell them after the fact. And then they, she, they'd already, she'd already committed the money, so they had they had to approve it, so they put a stop to that. And that Where are the contracts? <laughs> you tell me. I'd love to see some of those marketing contracts. That board should see those contracts. Well, well, here's an interesting. Uh, so one of the board members a couple of years ago, I can't remember, they asked for state, they wanted transparency. Oh, I know what it was. They wanted to see what checks were written. And the attorney told them that they couldn't see the checks, which was total crap. I mean, because that they are, they are supposed to just blind stamp things. So they, I mean, it's a good thing they have the new attorney. He's actually really smart and he's very ethical. And, um, but the previous attorney was Chris Hemphill and he would just tell him he would, whatever Nancy did, he was fine with. So I have no idea why he was that way. I don't know if he didn't uh, want her to be exposed. I don't know if there was some exposure in it for him because he'd been covering for her so long. I, I don't know, but it, it's all very questionable. What's your thought on that? Well, it it seems to me that this the board uh, puts itself in a very precarious position by not doing their job properly. Uh huh. I would think for their own, um, you know, uh, uh, confidence that they would absolutely want to see all of this. And not just have her present stuff as though it is a fait accompli, and they're just there to nod their heads. I, I, I just think that you know that that absolutely puts them at risk. Well, you know, we were talking about risk analysis and 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 some of the things that kind of just are have been red flags all along the way to you and I as we're reading through this material, just reading through the newspaper articles, what were some of them that stood out to you? The fact that it seems her typical method of operation is to make decisions in a vacuum without any input from anyone. And when she is confronted, her... Um, standard reply is, I don't know why people are so mean. I don't know why people can't get along. I don't know why people this. When uh -huh. she is the one who has caused these things to happen, it, it seems, um, I guess the, 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 big, the big crux of it is, is she wants all the glory, but she doesn't want any of the responsibility. Ooh, that's, a, that's true. She does want all the glory. Huh. That's, so, that's, that's, that's how it seems to me. Uh, <laughs> I know we were talking today about the fact that she trademarked all the events and never talked to anybody. Yeah. The board, I asked board members, they said they never knew until after it hit the newspaper. They were, bl they were blindsided yet again. It was one more, one more case where they were, they were blindsided. Right, right. One more case where she's made a decision without the board, and she's made a decision without the input of what's called the stakeholders, these people who are um, 
working these festivals, whether they are the person in charge, where are the volunteers, she is making decisions for them in their stead and behind their back. And that is not a way to make sure that people want to work with you. Interesting. So what do so, you think of some of the, the ethical so, issues that are associated with just these same issues? I mean, where where's the where are the ethical boundaries in this? Are they do, that, where do they, I don't re, rephrase that. Maybe I can understand it. Okay, better. so a lot of these behaviors are they're not illegal. They're ethical issues, and they they're a, they're a clear setup for future failure of the organization. So for oh instance, yes. It was unethical for her to to invoke these agreements with, let's say, Mississippi State, the $86,000 to Mississippi State. That was an, an ethical agreement she entered into because she didn't involve the board. She told them after the fact, after they were already on, unless they were already on the hook to pay for it. The commitment had been made. She'd signed the contract. That's an ethical thing. It's not necessarily illegal because there. Where do we see any rules? I mean, how do you how do you protect against the the ethical issues? Right, right, and that that is where they don't really have confidence in their director, and I don't blame them. Yeah, she she I would she would have a vote of of no confidence. The other thing is, surely there is a mechanism by which when these things happen, when she enters into contracts and then presents it to them, um, is there a method that, that the board or, and the board's attorney can go to whoever she's made this contract with and say, no, we can't do that. You know, we're not doing that. I wonder if there is a, a manner of, of getting out of these. Because here's the thing, if they haven't seen these contracts, if they if they haven't seen these contracts, then where are they financially obligated? Yeah, I mean that. I I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I, I would pull the plug on it and told Mississippi State, sorry. <laughs> I would too. Permission. I would too. I would too because if they didn't see these contracts and she's signing these things, and once again, we don't know. But because they're a government entity, there is a procedure and a process to signing contracts, especially if you're using ARPA funds, and especially if a contract is above X number of thousands of dollars. That's very clear. It's on the Mississippi Secretary of State website as to how these ARPA funds are to be used, how contracts are to be negotiated. And if none of that has, has happened, I, I don't know how much trouble they would be in. I would think you would be in trouble, but at the very the least, you could say the contract is null and void. Yeah, they probably have to give the right. money back and then and then not get it. They'd be told it'd be a long, be a cold day in hell before they got right. any more. Right, and and also um, another piece is the whole why is why we see this as a line item on the budget, but it's it's hard to tell if when that money is spent. So if so if they had this money, it's a line item in the budget, but then when there is an expenditure against that, that would need to be noted 
that that would need to be noted in the budget. Well, I've and, never seen um, I've never seen a budget that was so loosey goosey. I mean, there's like let's, let's look like on the membership line, it says they had thirty what thirty thousand dollars in memberships. And then right. we what know, is that for? What what memberships? We know that only because uh, the the new treasurer Quinn Brislin grilled her on it. We know that ten thousand of it was to the Mississippi Heritage Hills Association, Area Hills, whatever they're called, to that nonprofit. Right. And the one that they give themselves, you know, <laughs> they give themselves a lot of grants. They do give other people grants as well. I, I, I mean, let's be fair. But, right. she, you know, she told them that if she wasn't on, if she wasn't, if she didn't pay that $10,000, she couldn't get grants to um, back, back from them to, the CVB, which we know isn't exactly true. There are others that have applied that are not part of that, and they do get money. And so, well, and and so let's question the wisdom of why do we have to belong to a group that we have to pay money to belong to to get money for a grant that may or may not bear fruit? Because well, and a grant that we have to match funds to. So if you get a twenty thousand, well, you have to come up with another twenty. Is a matching grant, right? But, so you but pay here's ten thousand to have to pay another twenty thousand. Correct, but if you're not getting, so you spent forty thousand dollars, and if you didn't get anything but ten thousand dollars in tourist, tourists coming to your area, then you need to stop doing that. Correct, because that's negative. Correct. Well, it's it's, it's all it's just not it's, hard. It, it, yeah. Well, as we have said over and over in our meetings, it ain't rocket science. Exactly. I mean, I mean if you're not exactly. getting an, if you're not getting anything in return worth your investment, why do you keep doing that? Right. And so that is something that she can be measured on to say, does she do the job that she is supposed to do? If they spent a million dollars and on trying to get tourists into the area and they only got $400,000 worth of tourism, then she has not done her job. It's Correct. very simple. Well, we've had no tourists. It takes a lot of money. We had no buses this year at Pilgrimage, but also advertising. So for example, the advertising was, or was the, 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 let me back out. The people, the graphic designers who were going to do the pilgrimage brochures because pilgrimage has been pulled out of the CVB, but part of the donation of the CVB to fund the pilgrimage is an in-kind donation that they would do a lot of the marketing. So they agreed to work with the uh, with the marketing and um, design guys to do to, to come up with some nice brochures. So they. They kept trying to meet with her. She kept pushing them off, whatever. Busy life, busy, busy. And she finally met with them, and it was like a month before. And they had been trying to meet with her since three months before, two months before, and then finally one month before. So the stuff gets created. It goes off to the printer. Because it was late, they had to pay a premium for the shipping. So the shipping, it, part of the agreement was that it would go out to all the Visit Mississippi sites around the state. So the the plan all along had been to get everything into the Visit Mississippi sites one week before the Natchez tour. 
So when the Natchez pilgrimage happened, it's a, I think it's a two week event. And uh, the brochures did not get to the state sites, the, the, the visit Mississippi, you know, tourism sites until this, it was right before the second week of the Natchez pilgrimage. So they missed a whole week of opportunity of like-minded um, participants and potential, you know, visitors because she waited to the last minute to get shit done. I mean, that's and here's incredible. to me. That's, Why that's, did she wait to the last? I don't know. You tell me. Right. But and apparently she has a history of that. And, and it has been alleged that that muscle white building is full of brochures that were that arrived late for other things and never got sent out. And so this is once again a specific measurement that the director can be dinged on. And I don't see how her um, lack of attention to the detail of this job, and this job does require attention to detail. Um, I, I don't see how this inspires confidence in anyone to renew any of her contracts. And, and another thing I wanted to bring up that I, I don't see anyone raising a red flag on, although I would hope that accountants and attorneys and the bank and everyone else would, who keeps a million dollars in a checking account? I We've, we've discussed Nobody. this over and over. The FDIC does not right. insure a million dollars. Even if it's going to be gone next yes. week, shouldn't it be distributed over a couple of different accounts? Shouldn't part of it be in like least, investments, like short-term CDs? Well, I was going to say, for example, they, you know, they, they say they receive these grants and this and that and the other, and everything just gets lumped into this one checking account. Is that right? Because I would think that they would want to keep the pots of money separately, especially things like the $75,000 that they've had for three years. If they had put that in some sort of a money market or some sort of something, you know, with the bank, whether it was a CD or, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it, it could the be making would. the money that you're going to need because we know the metal's going to go right. up for that. For that, for that right. I mean, it's not going to be $75,000 anymore. Correct. And, and so they, do they have a fiduciary advisor at that bank? Because I would think that the bank itself would be, um, I, I would say that, that they would definitely want to work with the CVB to make sure that the CVB would be, it sounds like that would be a big account in a small, you know, regional bank. Well, and that they would want to make sure that they are doing their best by this customer. Well, let's talk about that, that 75000 because apparently I've caused a real uproar about bringing that up. What's interesting is after I brought that up, she said it wasn't at the CVB, that it's at the foundation. Fair enough. It's the Tennessee Williams Center, right? Well, when I look at the budget for the Tennessee Williams, that bench, nor that money, nor that project shows up on any of the budgets for the last, since 2021. So it would have been late 2021 when the money was donated. So it didn't show up any at all in 2021. It doesn't show up. It doesn't show up in the budget year. It doesn't show up in 2022, which is, or 2023, which would be the next fiscal year. So if it was, if it was donated in 
that fiscal year, you would think it would show up and neither does. So there's no mention of the project. There's no mention of the money. There's no mention of any of that. And so all these other projects are mentioned on the budget and they're in, they weren't completed. They haven't even started until this year. So uh, I, I think she's it, the, either the funds are commingled or they're gone. And I don't know which, but I find that very curious. I would be, right. And here's the deal is in this instance, time is of the essence because the Columbus cultural um, heritage foundation is only required per Mississippi law to keep those documents and the bank statements, et cetera, et cetera, for three years, three years. And so come 2024, if you're going to go ask for, did they have a transfer of money of $75,000 from one account to the other account, you're not going to be able to find it unless you go to the bank itself. Oh, wow. So I, I think that's going to be um, a matter of urgency. Because if, if there is no trail of it actually physically leaving account one, two, three that belongs to CVB and it getting transferred to account four, five, six, which belongs to CCHF. Yeah, it's it just a lot of moving, moving around. We know the check existed because there's a photograph of uh, Miss Dixie g giving the check. I mean, giving a physical check. Sure, sure. So, and it was much. But where is that money now? Where is it? And why, why has there been, never been any transparency on it until I forced the issue? And then all of a sudden they run well, the paper. And, and there's still right. no evidence of where it is. It's just, oh, it's fine. I put it with this. I put it with the foundation. It's safe. I promise it's safe. Well, right. I, you know, a lot of people make promises. But, but we don't know that. We don't know that. There is no, there is no assurance of that. And once again, because there is no specific what's going on with this project, like there is no monthly update, there is no quarterly update. Nope. And if you had board members or I, I don't know, interested citizens who volunteered to serve on a project to make this project go forward, believe me, it won't go forward. And that's what's going on is in my opinion, they rely on that. They rely on stuff getting lost in the midst of time. Well, and that's kind of what happened to that other sign that nobody ever talks about that missing money anymore, do they? The one that disappeared right. in 2011. And then she turned around right. and told the attorney she wasn't the, the director then. Well, not only was she, she was the interim director, but not only that, she was the person in charge of that project. <laughs> so either way. So either way. Either, either way, it happened under her um purview and, yes and but so there's this a there's, why this is well well my concern is that there's a pattern there and there's a history of untruth and um you know she she lied to the lawyer and she and, and said that she she wasn't the she wasn't the director then I, I mean it was really easy i just went and pulled the newspaper articles and said hey on December 21st of uh, 2010, they announced her being the interim and the money went missing after April of 2011. Tell me. <laughs> Tell well, me. once again, I think he's right. And you've brought up a good point is that there seems to be these very quite splashy projects, projects 
of the Children's Museum, project of the sign in front of the hospital, project of the bench, project of the life-size statue, project of, you know, whatever, whatever the project du jour is. And there's a lot of splash and a lot of, once again, um, you know, front and center and look at what we're doing. And they get all this money and then nothing ever happens. Well, so what do any of these things have a, to do with tourism? And well, that's very true. That's an excellent point. But all of this generates incoming revenue into their bank account. But then it never, the project is never completed whereupon it becomes outgoing revenue. So, I mean, outgoing expenditures. So, so you, you don't see that. You see a lot of incoming revenue, but you don't see any outgoing expenditures on these projects. Well, as a, that's, a, that's a bad pattern. Well, as, as uh, my father used to say, <laughs> all splash, no dash. <laughs> true. So, very, very true. Yeah. So there's, there's not a lot, not a lot to show for, for all that money. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation no. and I think we should have more of these. Would you be willing to join me on I another one? I think that sounds like a great idea, especially as things progress and we more things come to light. Agreed. What's interesting is all the all the I mean, there's so many uh, things that people are sharing with me behind the scenes and in private messages and in emails and in phone calls. And I, mean, I, I walk in the courthouse and three or four people stop me. I, I mean, today it was at the it was uh, I was at the post office and. Um, and they're like, did you know about this? And did you know about this? And it's like, oh my gosh, it, it, it there's so now now that we're connecting the dots on 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 our team, it's other people are are starting to go, oh my gosh, I remember when this happened, and oh, did you know about this? And so it's it, it, it's a small town. People, you would think, <laughs> you would think that someone in such a high profile position would keep that in mind. Well, very, very true. And it's been a really good, positive um, thing for crowdsourcing is because it's almost like a giant puzzle. And everyone has a piece of the puzzle and people bring certain strengths, certain perspectives, and certain ways of looking at the puzzle. That's a, that is a huge piece of this is, you know, there's always a family member Everyone's over the table working the puzzle. And then, you know, Uncle Dean walks by and you've looked for three hours for that one piece. And he walks by and says, hey, here's this piece. And he puts it right in. Yeah. And, and so we never know when that piece is going to, to show up. And, and so everyone, it's been so, so invaluable because one link then leads to the other, leads to the other. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, I, I feel... I, you know, the, the thing about having our our accidental team has been kind of fun. I mean, I love historical research and I'm really good at digging in old newspapers. And then you're really good at looking at things with a financial eye, with your business acumen. And uh, I mean, I have some of that, but it's not nearly as honed as yours. So that's been really uh, uh, positive for the team. And then our counterpart, overseas who is working while we're sleeping oh i mean it is what kind of a, what who couldn't have a better team i couldn't do this alone i'd never exactly. sleep exactly 
that. So, it, so it's, 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 you would never, it, you don't sleep anyway much and you would never sleep for sure. So, well, right. that's right. <laughs> I wake up, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to have the joke is what's happening next. I mean, out of such a ridiculous circus of, of events, what could be more ridiculous tomorrow? And it, and right when I think it's, you know, winding down, the next event pops up, the next piece of knowledge, and you're just like going, no, she didn't. <laughs> right, right. And and the deal is, is, is it's, it's not just that. It's all of the pieces, and this is a government entity, and this is taxpayer money, and this is for the citizens of Columbus, for all citizens of Columbus. And, and we and deserve if, better. I was going to say, if they don't have confidence in her doing this job, for which she gets paid very well, then yeah. a serious look at this. And also, I believe, a serious way to, re I don't want to use the word restructure, but maybe to refine the roles and expectations in this job as it goes forward. That's actually, those are really good uh, points. Uh, one of the things that really seems to um, keep recurring is for me is that why, why <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm saying, why am I the only person who figured this out? And I don't think I, I am the only person. I, I just think that, uh, to me, it's frustrating that I see this. It's, to me, it's clearly obvious that the uh, the the bro the the breach of ethics, the the breach of confidence, the breach of trustworthiness, and the it's like it, it's like has nobody cared that there's been no tourism in Columbus since oh about 2013? I mean. Why? Why do? Why do they keep throwing good money after bad to the tune of several million a year? That and get no results. I mean, when does somebody, anybody, raise the BS flag? And I think I, I think it's just reached a critical point. And I mean. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, but I, I haven't seen, I mean, the people have, have newspaper on we because it was every week there was another article about what, what was going on at the CVB with the director, Nancy Carpenter. And, and I think it had gotten to the point where people were like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like, no, she didn't. Sure. sure. And they, and they, and they, that's not a good spot to be in. You, you want people to be um, uh, excited and, and proud of their um, town and want to show it off to visitors and feel like they have a group that is equally interested in doing that. And this town has so much potential. And we actually have good industries that are coming in. And, you know, we have the opportunity if we take pride in what we do and we, and we choose a new way to go forward and be inclusive and like invest in ourselves. I mean, really, this is about investing in ourselves. When we invest in ourselves and we invest in our community, instead of watching all our money go out of town to Jackson or Starkville. Right, right. 
Very true. Very true. Anyways, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to a few more discussions like this. I want to thank our listeners for coming to listen in on the Tom Bigby Tales podcast and a team meeting. And uh, I hope to, I hope to have you at our next meeting. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.